Hello, hi, how are you doing? I hope you are good. I hope you are well. Welcome to the 12th episode of the African Film Podcast. If this is the first time you are with us. The African Film Podcast is a space where we explore African cinema through film recommendations, as well as pertinent conversations with practitioners working within the field. So we usually start with the film recommendation, but today we're doing things a little bit different because it is our season finale. So we're not going to be having a podcast recommendation however there is still a guest recommendation that is coming through however i just wanted to take some time to actually just say thank you to all of you who've actually been on this road and this journey with us because it has been an incredible journey for us uh, over these last 12 episodes and if we're counting the club over these last 17 interactions with african film having conversations about African film and just seeing exactly how far it's gone. The support that we've gotten both from institutions like the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture and FBF, as well as all of the amazing guests that have come through and given us invaluable insights. At the beginning of this, when we first started, I did not think that this is what would come from it in terms of me being able to have earnest conversations with sales agents, with podcasters from completely different countries from getting a ugandan perspective on film we had a sundance winning filmmaker i (laughs) what i did not think that this is i genuinely didn't think that this is where when we started this that this is where it would take us but thank you all for all the people who've participated and who've made this what it is because i genuinely believe over the course of these 12 episodes and over the course of this run such amazing information has been shared and you guys have responded to it and the messages that you've given us from listening the fact that within our run on apple Podcasts, within the film and interview genre we have topped the south african charts multiple times since we've started we've charted within countries that i didn't even think that people would be listening in terms of zimbabwe germany poland finland australia great britain so uh, there's been the this journey something which i genuinely didn't expect in terms of how it was being received so i genuinely wanted to thank all of you who've been listening and all of you who've come onto the show as well as all the people who've worked to make the show what it is. Again, our sponsors who would not have been able to do any of this with in terms of the recording. Thank you, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture for for the sponsorship, as well as for the NFEF. The fact that I got to work with one of my favorite music producers who created music specifically for this podcast, Doshi, the voiceover artist. This has been a really, um, it's been a insightful and such a special journey for me we are going to come back for a second season i just don't know when it is but i'm very thankful for this very unpredictable journey and where it's taken us specifically because this is not something which was this was something which was born out of a need to do something within the pandemic because the stuff that we had to do and that we were planning to do was taken away from us so the fact that this is something which is able to provide us work as well as other people, and it has been able to give so many, so many people information is something which I'm incredibly proud of, and I'm incredible, incredibly thankful for. Now, moving on to our guest. For our finale, the guest this week is someone who is integral to my development within the film and television industry. 
He was one of my first main mentors within the industry through the Magic in Motion Academy, which is now called the Multi-Choice Talent Factory, Bobby Heaney. Bobby Heaney is the pioneer of the South African soap. He flagshipped Egoli, which was the first soap opera within South African history. And we know how much soapies are a staple within this country. And his career since then within film, television, and theater has been exemplary from being an actor to being a director, a producer. He is a wealth of knowledge and a body of wisdom. And our conversation revolves around the Multi-Choice Talent Factory and the impact that such a program has within the industry, not only on its participants, of which I was one of the first, but also how initiatives like this are able to kind of change the course or the dynamics within the industry if you're an aspiring filmmaker how it is that you can position yourself to be part of the industry so if this is a conversation that interests you you will definitely be hearing a lot about me within this and yeah this this is the final episode of season one of african film with special guest bobby Green, and i genuinely hope you enjoy Welcome to African Film. In studio with us is one of the legends, a titan within the South African and just general uh, film industry. He is one of the godfathers of soap opera as he introduced the multicam setup that we very much know within studio setups from Egoli as well as still within the groundbreaking um, groundbreaking Mnet uh, soapy slash <laughs> telenovela format of the wild. He has done so much within not just film and television, but as well as theater with his shows ranging from South Africa all the way around the world. And on top of that, he is one of my mentors through the Magic in Motion Academy, which is what we're going to be talking a little bit more about today. The one, the only, Bobby Heaney. How are you doing, sir? Hey, it is so good to see you, you Lizzo. Thank you for inviting me. How has lockdown actually been treating you? You know, we're on day 200 at the moment. I'm not sure when this podcast is going out, but uh, 200 days later, I think I'm com- coming out of the other end of it. I think stronger. You know, obviously there's been some awful stuff and it's really sore seeing a lot of the people, particularly in our industry, who have really suffered and continue to suffer and will continue to suffer as we try and uh, set the new normal. But uh, personally, for me and for the academy that I've been running now for nearly six years, it's actually been strong. We decided right at the beginning of the lockdown that come a hell of high water, we were going to make this year's academy work. And if I may just say, you know, when you were there, it was the Magic in Motion Academy. It's now the Multi-Choice Talent Factory, uh, ZA Academy. When we decided this year that we we were going to go ahead, we looked hard into the Zoom application um, and it has worked incredibly well. For the first three months of this year, um, I've spent five and a half, six hours a day on screen mentoring our 14 interns in the year 2020. 
Um, and I actually think it's been better because we've had a lot of uh, intense focus, intense mentoring, intense uh, exchange of ideas. And we've also been able to uh, communicate in a way that we hadn't even thought of in previous years with our counterparts in uh, Kenya and Nigeria and in Zambia. So we've uh, been able to have uh, exchange uh, meetings with them, exchange ideas, exchange videos. What are we doing on lockdown? So for the th first three months, that, that's what we did. And then um, as we were coming out of uh, th those three months, uh, the lockdown started to ease. And we have now for a week and a half had our interns on campus. Obviously, we are uh, looking very carefully at the protocols and we, we observe them very, very strongly. Um, but we're moving into the phase now where I mentor them on practical issues that uh, you need to be with them to be able to show them what you're talking about. And in two weeks time, uh, we start going on placements. So in actual fact, uh, I would say that this year, the Magic in Motion um, MTFZA factory has gone better than in previous years. And for those of for those who may not be aware of what the multi-choice factory is, could you give us just a bit of an explanation as to how the program works? Yeah, uh, I think I should start at the beginning, if I may, by saying that uh, six years ago, I was approached by the senior executives at Mnet uh, and MultiChoice, who said that Chris Becker, who of course is the founder of uh, MultiChoice all those years ago, 35 I think it is now, um, he said he wanted to start an academy and they came to me, um, they approached a number of us and told us what their idea was, uh, which was simply, we want to start an academy, and uh, how would we go about it? And I became involved in the initial stages of proposing how I would want to see it run. They accepted my idea, and uh, literally six years ago, a month or two ago, so we're almost, uh, we're just over six years in the planning, I put together this concept for the academy, which is a virtual academy, i.e. we don't spend money on the buildings, uh, we spend money on the people and on the training. And the principle behind it came from all of those years ago when I first started Egoli. And I was asked to set up the first South African soap and I said, fine, but I want to see how they do it. And I flew across to New York and I watched them recording a program that you're far too young to remember called Loving and another one called All My Children, which was soaps uh, being broadcast in the States. And I brought back the system of shooting that. And we started to goalie based on that. But the principle behind what uh, I did there was to have a look at what they were doing and work out how, if I were brand new in the industry, as I was then with creating soaps, watch other people, see how they do it, and then um, learn what you want to, to do, looking at the good people and looking at the bad people. Uh, when I say bad, the, pe the people who didn't really do terribly well and decide how you were going to do it. And the principle of magic in motion is exactly that. We have between 12 and 20 interns a year people who have graduated from universities or film schools or drama schools or whatever, 
People who, in other words, have spent some money training and have come out of the other end of it, and we take the, the, the best of them and invite them to join the academy, and we select, as I say, just between 12 and 20 per year. And those people uh, join me for the first several weeks uh, with intense mentoring, basically on attitude. I'm sure you remember that. I say to the people, there are a lot of people out there who are want to get into our industry. Only the best are going to survive. And who are the best? The people who have the right attitudes, the people who are proactive, the people who really, really, really are passionate about the industry. And I, uh, I tutor them in having the right attitude before we then start sending them out onto live productions. At any one time in the Gauteng area, uh, we have 15 to 30 productions that are on the go at any one time. And I have a very good relationship with those production companies. And I generally, as a matter of course, place two at a time on different productions. For a fairly short period, I will take two people uh, from the academy who have been mentored by me, who have got the right attitude, and they go on to... The, those productions in pairs for a three to four week period doing for instance one of them will go into the lighting department another one will do continuity and then I will after three or four weeks I will swap them around and put them onto another production where now the person who did lighting will be doing um, production work and the one who did continuity will be doing uh, camera work assisting in the camera department and over a period of several months, all of the interns get to go on seven, eight, nine, ten different productions, doing different jobs on those productions in the various areas. So that by the time they have been with me for um, eight, nine months, they understand exactly how television works because they've understood the principles behind it. They've gone and watched it in operation. And we put them in areas that range right from the conceptualizing period through to writing, uh, through to pre-production, to being in the various production companies, in the various departments, until finally, during this period, we have been conceptualizing what amounts finally to four movies. And uh, in the last uh, three, four months of their time at the Academy, we actually then let them make four movies. And when I say make four movies, we're talking about them doing everything. The interns do everything. I'm there, I'm on set. But the DOP is an intern. The second camera operator is an intern. The producer is an intern, the production manager, the lighting, the art department. It's scripted entirely by the interns. So they make by themselves the entire movie. We only bring one or two professionals on uh, in critical areas, depending on uh, where our skills set lies. Like if we have a good sound person, as indeed we do this year, then the sound will be done by the intern. But most years we find that sound is a very difficult area that few people at the early stage of their careers want to focus on. So we'll bring a, a professional sound person in or we'll bring a professional editor in if we don't have a, a very strong editor to edit the movies. We will certainly use a unit manager who needs to look after the security. So that will be a, a professional. But apart from those two or three professionals who 
assist in areas where we need their expertise. The rest is run entirely by the interns. And the fact that we make four movies every year, and we've done five years, so you can work out, we've made 20 movies from Zanzi Magic. And those movies regularly rate in the top 10 and have even rated in the top three movies competing against the best professionals who are out there. So for these guys to have done the mentoring period, done the placement period, then have made four movies entirely on their own, and then add to that the one other thing that I haven't mentioned, which is we have an accredited course which is run by Henley Business School, and our interns go to Henley Business School and they do the business side of it to get the the gown and the cap uh, and the the certificate at the end of all of this. If I may say so, that for me is less important than the experience that they get uh, spending an entire year uh, working with the very best in the business. So, I mean, when they come away from it, they they have met the likes of Tabang Malaya and Kutluano, Angus Gibson and uh, Desiree Marcraft and Trevor Brown and... Uh, uh, Susanna Ward and all of the best people in the business in Johannesburg, they have met our interns. And and quite often what we find is these guys then have a look at the guys that we send to them and they identify people that they would very much like to work with when they leave the academy. So our uptake of people going into the profession after finishing uh, the MTFZA Academy is very high indeed. And the other thing that we're finding now, Yeleso, is that people like you who have graduated from the academy are be- being becoming what I have said all along they must become, which is industry leaders. You guys are going to be the industry leaders and are starting to become that as we speak. The number of movies that have been made by people who have graduated from our academy over the last five years is quite extraordinary. If I tell you that three of our academy uh, graduates from four months ago, what am I saying? They graduated four months ago and they have already got, got three movies um, that they have been commissioned to do for Mzanzi Magic. So you can see that the, the 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 channel and the various broadcasters are beginning to understand that these guys really know what they're doing, even though they're young and relatively inexperienced. They're giving them the opportunity to to make their own movies and start their own production companies like you have done. I just wanted to kind of jump on when you're speaking about getting to meet. Also, um, you spoke about Tabang Mulea. I remember I had one of them. It was very privileged in terms of his actual premiere for Happiness is a four-letter word. I got to sit right next to him. So I was able to (laughs) sit next to him for his actual first cinematic viewing at his premiere, which was, I think, still to me one of the most powerful moments I actually um, had the privilege of, of witnessing. And the, the the Academy, one of the things which, in terms of the things which I find extremely fascinating and very helpful, Varsity does not prepare you for the industry. <laughs> does not prepare you at all for the industry because what you believe um, when you're going into um, film and television and then what film and television actually is, is completely different. And then when you get on set, I remember the first time we worked, I walked on set um, in terms of the Academy was for Gold Diggers and we were with Alice and Alice was from AFTA and I was from UJ. 
and none of us <laughs> i had no idea what what they were what what at all what was going on on set because everything that we learned was very much studio setup and not just studio setup but stuff which had nothing to do with actual how things run and so much so that like you just as you mentioned you 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 kind of just as you get onto a placement you get this knowledge of what this job is but at the same time the magic of it i believe at least for me was going from from different placement to different placement i would talk to a lot of the different practitioners and you'd get an understanding of what a lot of the general worries are within the industry so it's not just in terms of understanding that specific job but also the state of the industry or how people are or what are the strengths how people lack or if this show is doing really great why is it doing this great but there's also continuous like through lines in terms of where this industry is what struggles we have as creators and how we can kind of move from them and when you mention in terms of the actual television um in terms of the movies yeah my first movie <laughs> my first movie uh was within the academy and it came out 2 days before my 21st birthday so my 21st birthday was actually <laughs> spent with the ring um showing and we then put it on and it was it was I've never had a birthday like that. Who gets to say the 21st birthday literally on screen? You're seeing your 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 50 with Kenneth and Corsi, Steven Natimabuya, all these different actors and actresses and it's 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 this it is both the most terrifying experience and the most magical experience. Yeah, and you, you were 20 you were 21 and you were less than a year out of your training at university. and there you were with a movie that was being broadcast on Mzanzi Magic <laughs> yeah and um one of the things which cuz there was a point in time i think it was earlier this was it it was late last year me and my brother would were, we had like a challenge so what we did was we were on um we were scrolling through uh, Mzanzi Bioscope and what we did was we just literally wanted to go from the day let's say today's thursday and we went to up until next week thursday over 60% of the films which were showing or re-airing were stuff that were either from the academy films or from academy graduates so for example there's tembeletu's tembeletu's a trap called story they've done a dozen films at this point i believe more than a dozen and their next one is coming out just now eccentric have done also i think now about 8 and they're about to get into uh they're about to do their second showmax film which we're actually talking with we actually spoke with Polani um he's part of the podcast so he's also telling us about their christmas special that they're doing for showmax which is quite awesome so you find more than half of the actual programming on Zanti Bioscope in terms of the reruns are academy films I didn't know that and that's absolutely amazing. And all of these people that you're talking about are people with less than 5 years in the industry and they are churning out movies through their own production companies. You know, I want to go back on something you said just now that you know, universities and the training that they provide, the film schools and the training that they provide are obviously vitally important. But when people arrive at my academy as interns as opposed to students because they've now graduated okay when they arrive as interns I say to them we are going to teach you how to get a job which I don't think the universities concentrate on the universities concentrate on a lot of the the theoretical and to a smaller extent the uh, the practical side of things from day 1 
I let the people who arrive into my academy, our academy, um, I say to them, we are going to teach you about the situation in your home country. Yes, we might look at a movie like The Revenant, but we will look at it once and we will say, do you want to make that kind of movie? It's highly unlikely that that's going to happen. If at all, it's going to happen in 30, 40 years time. So what are you going to do in the meantime? What are you doing in our academy? You are going to be learning exactly how to behave in order to be able to get a job when there are 15 other people applying for that same um, position on the set or in the production office. So we really work hard to make sure that people understand that when they finish with the academy, they're not immediately going to become a DOP. They are, if they're going to work for another production company, going to drop right down the ladder again and continue the learning process. But in the meantime, you have the opportunity, because we've taught you how to do it, to make your own movies through your own production companies. And frankly, it's gone a lot faster than I dared hope that it would do. The fact that Timbaletu and Mbali and Aluta are, <laughs> what, a dozen or so um, programs that have gone out. In the primetime television series. Yes. I mean, that's... Isn't that extraordinary? And and as I've just told you, uh, three movies been given to some of the guys who have just graduated. The channel is understood now because we work very closely with uh, Mzanzi Magic. When I say we, I'm talking about my manager, Mpile Shabalala, and we work very closely as a team to do the very best for our interns. And uh, when we work with Mzanzi Magic in developing these movies, which are uh, subsequently uh, broadcast on their channel, they have got to understand how we work and how we develop our ideas. They've got to adapt uh, to our kind of way of thinking and we adapting to their kind of way of thinking so that there's an, a huge understanding of how that um, channel works which has made it so much easier for our guys to pitch ideas to them because they know about the pitching sessions. Some of them have had the pleasure and the privilege of sitting in watching other people pitching. So they know what, it, what to do and what not to do. So they've got a greater opportunity of getting their, their, their idea accepted by channel. And once they, uh, they, they, they get to make their movies, they're also very aware that they are working on shoestring budgets. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I do uh, with the Academy, which you will remember, Yeleso, is you only have six days to make your movie. And some people have asked me, no, come on, these guys are young, they're inexperienced. Give them a break, man. Let them do it in eight days. And I, my answer to that is when they get into the profession, they are not going to have the money to work for eight days. They have to shoot in six days. In actual fact, most of them now work in five days. And if you yeah, talk to yeah. somebody like Timbaletu, four days per episode. We shot, we shot, because um, we did two films this year from Zandi Magic. I know the first one we did in five days, which was the horror film. And then the second one we did in three days. But that was also just because we'd gotten both of them together. 
and uh, we needed to, we had kind of overdone the one. <laughs> so you had to kind of cut the time <laughs> on the second. <laughs> yeah, we made up the time, but the second film, Kodrama, was shot in three days because we had to shoot it in three days. Yeah, so you see, that for me is what's working. That you guys know when you are under the real pressure of making your first movie, The Ring, which incidentally is one of the most successful comedies ever produced for Mzanzi Magic. Uh, and I really congratulate you because comedy is a really difficult thing to do. When you are under the real pressure and you're up to day five and you're really battling to, because I also don't let our interns go overtime, as you know, you have to finish with on, within the schedule. And the only reason I do that is so that when you hit the profession, you, you are not lulled into a false sense of security thinking, oh, well, this will be, be okay. You know before you leave the academy that it's going to be incredibly hard and that you have to be incredibly well-planned and incredibly efficient in your shooting uh, and you have to manage your money down to the last cent. And it's those people who are now know how to do that who are surviving in an industry that out there at the moment, I don't know how anybody is surviving. So I really take my hat off to those of you who have made those movies and have continued to keep your production companies running. You are going to be the industry leaders. So what I want to understand just a little bit now more about is you mentioned that the, the, the academy, or at least now the factory, has kind of moved into three other, three other spaces because it's East Africa being represented by Kenya, Central Africa by Zambia, and West Africa by, by Nigeria. Yes. How did that come about? And yeah, first of all, how did that come about? And how is that currently running? Okay, so when they asked me if I would start the academy, nobody knew what it was going to look like, not even me. But once I'd kind of planned how it was going to run and based it on the principle of watching other people work and learning what you want to do and what you don't want to do when you get into that director's seat or that producer's seat. Uh, working from that principle, I then started the academy and in you were in the first year, weren't you? Yeah, first year. Yeah, and it worked well. And I mean, how many people have we got who are out there regularly employed either in their own production companies or writing for other production companies and freelancing and everything? All, are, all, of, us are, all of us are still within the industry and we have a SAF to win as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So it worked well in the first year. So they allowed me to do a second year. The second year was uh, a, a really tough year because we had 20 people and I think it was too many you know, you really need a hands-on, one-on-one relationship with, uh, uh, with each of those interns. So the second year was a, was a bit tough, but uh, again, we've had good employment success rate, and it's built on from there to the third, fourth, and now fifth year, and we're currently halfway through our sixth year. But halfway through the second year, when the uh, multi-choice and MNET executive saw how well it was doing, uh, they asked me if I would uh, have a look around the rest of Africa, and I traveled to, to Kenya, and I traveled to Nigeria. I wasn't able to travel to Zambia in that first year, but we had a look at what the position was on the ground. And it is different in those countries. We are blessed in that we've got so many productions that are on the go here that we can base our academy on placing our interns 
on those various uh, productions. If you go to Kenya, for example, there's only three or four productions. And indeed, when I first went there, there were only one or two productions that were operating at the time. So we had to think of a different way of uh, running that academy. And I worked with a number of uh, highly skilled consultants. And uh, together, we put together a plan that said, because there are no, not no, but because the universities there are less focused on film and television, that those academies needed to provide more of the practical and theoretical training than we need to do, i.e. they were taking people not necessarily from university, but quite a lot of them straight off the street and having to train them from that level up. So we looked at Kenya and that was the case. Nigeria, with its uh, kind of guerrilla style of movie making had a lot of people who had no formal training but were already out there trying to make a living with uh, making little uh, videos all over the place and then Zambia with their different situation we looked at all three of those particular countries and designed different academies for East, West and Southern Africa. They are just completing, they have just completed their second year now so they started when I had been going for, when we had been going for three years. And the first year, uh, they obviously learned what worked and, they, and, and what didn't work. The second year, they adjusted and they are controlled uh, from Johannesburg. They, all three of them, operate together through the multi-choice offices here in Johannesburg and then also in their independent areas as well. And they operate more closely together than I do um, because our academy has been running well on its own and it has a different set of criteria that they operate, uh, that we operate on. Um, so we've just kept going. But as I said, with the Zoom situation now, we're starting to interact with them more and more. I was on Zoom meeting with um, the three other directors uh, today. And we were looking at the situation of COVID and how have we handled the situation. And we're actually at the risk of blowing a story here. Uh, we're actually working with the United Nations to do some PSAs on COVID. And we're all exchanging ideas on what can we come up with? Uh, what can our students and interns come up with to talk to our various regions in Africa? So I must say I'm incredibly proud of the fact that what started as a one-man band, now we've got three highly experienced and wonderful people in, in the other parts of Africa who have become firm friends of mine, incidentally, and I've traveled and I've done courses with them, and I've even helped uh, the uh, Zambian one to, to make their movies. So it's become a, a continent-wide extraordinary uh, initiative by MultiChoice, which is really starting to bear fruit. So the other the other factories slash academies, they're also producing, um, they've also been able to produce films within the same year-long internship or academy. Correct. They only to, uh, do two each. I think that was a decision uh, taken by their directors and obviously finance uh, pay, plays a part in this as well. But, you know, um, the, the, the reason we're able to do four was in your first year, I One of the things I said when I was designing the Academy was I said to MultiChoice, we must make movies that are broadcast every year. 
And they said, okay, uh, we've got X amount. And I said, great, on that X amount, we can make two Mzanzi magic movies. Then when we were halfway through the year and we had such strong contenders like Mbali, who really knew how to write, really does know how to write, and she's one of our SAFTA winners, I said to them, why don't we make four? And they said, no, we don't have the budget. And I said, well, who's paying for the two movies that are going on to Mzanzi Magic? And they said, well, the Academy is. And I said, yes. So the Mzanzi Magic is getting two free movies. Yes. So I said, well, why don't they put the money up for two movies? We put the money up for two movies. And between us, we can make four movies that benefits us in the training and gives them Zanzi Magic four movies for the price of two. And Yulisa Pachle, who uh, is head of content uh, for, for, for MultiChoice, at that stage she was head of Zanzi Magic and she loved the idea. And then she moved on to Mnet and has been supporting us ever since as she's moved up the hierarchy of Mnet and MultiChoice. She's been an extraordinary support, as has uh, Inkateko. And each year I've gone, I've worked with a number of managers. And this year, uh, with Mpile Shabalala over the, uh, over the last 18 months or so. And I really think we've got it right in terms of how we create movies for our channel. So we're not only making them stronger, but we are certainly being stronger by being able to make four movies a year. You name me one other academy in the world that gets to have four broadcast uh, made for television movies uh, in their year. This season's interviews were primarily recorded remotely via Zoom during September and October 2020. The African Film Podcast is produced by Enraptured Odyssey, a media company based in Alberton, South Africa. To find out more on African Film and Enraptured Odyssey, you can go to their website, enraptured.africa, and you can also follow their social pages at African Film, that's AF. R-I-Q-U-A-N film on social media sites for more fun film facts. And well, to, to speak about, because I'm, I'm going to segue back to what I wanted, but to also speak about the four movies, what was at least, um, at least for our year, uh, I think what was vital was that even though it was four movies, I believe there were 12 ideas or 12 concepts in play. So even though you were pitching, it was very much competitive. So the first half of the the first half of the year was very much the training. And then the second year, I think me and Kaldani basically called it the Hunger Games because essentially you're now split into these little silos where you have to now create these stories to pitch. And you know your competition. <laughs> you know your competition and you know exactly, and everyone is everyone at least and I, I can speak from our year everyone was incredibly talented specifically in terms of like the 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 storytellers the writers so you you're going up knowing that half of you are not getting your movie made 
and the other half are then going to get your movie made. So, so, so even within that, there's the competition amongst you, but also there's the understanding that you're doing this specifically for Mzanti Magic that has a that has a specific mandate of the type of content that it does. It's family yes. oriented, or if it's not family oriented, it's Tyler Perry or Shakespearean. There's there's specific signatures of that channel that you need to have an understanding of so that when you're speaking to the channel, you're speaking to things that you know that will resonate with them because they are your client as much as the audience is your client. Yeah. You know, and and Yeleza, you you hit the nail on the head. Everything in our industry is a competition. You know that every movie that you pitch is going to come up against numerous other pitches and only one is going to be accepted. But what we've tried to do in the academy, and I, I think it's worked to a very large extent, is that once the concepts have been accepted, now the challenge is to create a team that is going to work well together. So in other words, there is no longer that extremely competitive edge because you know that Yeleza's movie has been selected. We are now, all of us, going to work on Yeleza's movie and we are a team. And if any one of us is weak in that team, that movie is going to fail. So you have to build that team spirit to make sure that everybody is doing what they have to do on that movie in order for it to be a success. I found this situation in one of the other academies in Africa where there was such a competition between the two movies that had been selected where half of the people were really wanting this one to succeed and the other half wanted the other one to succeed. And there was such competition that when we said, well, you've all got to work on each other's movies. They didn't really want to. They wanted to concentrate on their movie yeah. on the basis that one of those movies was going to be shown at, a, at, a, at an African festival. And so they wanted it to be their movie until I pointed out to them that you are shooting yourself in the foot because you are only going to be as good as your best, uh, as your worst movie. So, if one of those movies fails, that is what the uh, multi-choice is going to remember, that they made a failed movie. Yeah, so you have to make sure that both of your movies succeed. And as you discovered in your year, all four of those movies must succeed. Otherwise, what are they going to remember? That the movie that didn't fail, uh, I mean, that did fail, came from year one of Magic in Motion. Do you want your name attached to that? No. <laughs> so we worked very hard that once the concepts had been approved by Mzanzi Magic, the task then was to make sure that everybody in that academy now joined to form one team to make the first movie, one team, united team to make the second movie, one team to make the third and fourth and so on. And that what I, is what I think has been extraordinary is that of the 20 movies that we have made in the Academy, all of which have been broadcast, not one of them has been a failure. One or two of them have had lesser ARs because of the subject matter, and you touched on it just now. You know, when, you, when you're going on Mzanzi Magic, there are certain things that the Mzanzi Magic viewer is, expects. 
And quite often when people arrive at the academy from a university where the universities have been pumping uh, UK movies and European movies and, and Hollywood movies and telling them this is what, you know, they, that, they, that they come to the academy wanting to make those kind of movies, but they don't have the budget. And they also don't have the target audience who are used to watching those kind of things. So they have to relearn what is it that the Mzanzi Magic Viewer wants, and that is what they have to, uh, to give them if they're going to get the audience ratings that is going to put them in the top 10, which is what our aim is with every single movie. Actually, our aim with every single movie is to be in the top three if we can possibly manage it. And we've had a remarkable success rate in that. And it's because we understand our audience. And that's why people like you and, uh, and Kolani and, uh, Timberletu and Charlie and all of, all of you guys know what the public wants. And you are pitching ideas that are being accepted because you know uh, exactly what they would like to be watching. But now I want to I wanna understand just a little bit more about the, the stories coming out of the other academies, because one of the things which we've been doing within this specific podcast isn't specifically just focusing on South African film, but also um, continentally on African films. So I just wanted to under, I, I want to know from you, from the films which, which you've been able to see from, let's say, the Zambia, the Kenya and the Nigerian, is there a difference in terms of the types of stories that are coming out? Or how how much not necessarily the technical aspect, but just like the story matter and what's what what it's revolving around. How how are you finding the differences between the regions in terms of the stories that are coming out? Okay, I mean that's a really interesting question because they create the movies in the same way as we do. You start with, in our case, in your case, twelve people, who I say right, each one of you come up with a concept. And then we whittle it down to, okay, so now we're down to six concepts and two, uh, uh, um, two of you are working on each concept. And then we're down to four concepts and three of you are working on each of those concepts until finally only two concepts are actually get to the, uh, to the stage where they get made. And we do the same thing later on in the years for the third and fourth movies. But the ideas are coming from you guys. And the same thing applies in, uh, let me say, the one I know best is Zambia. And the one idea that they came up with was a horror story based on people and, and uh, monsters, if I can use that expression, coming out of paintings. And it was called The Painting. Ooh, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that was the idea that was, that was accepted by Channel there. The second idea was completely different and had to deal with uh, water and sustainability in an area where one family was poisoning the water for the community in that area. So I don't think the stories are any different. They might be concentrating on different elements of their particular society, but essentially they are <laughs> horror stories. They are socially uh, um, related stories. They are stories that have come out of Africans uh, sitting in a particular country surrounded by a particular uh, set of cultures. And then they have a, a much better idea of what the people in, 
in those areas are looking for and then make their movies accordingly. And again, I say that, you know, they've, they have so far made two movies each. So there are six movies to come out of, uh, out of the other parts of Africa. But they're finding a way to work around COVID. They were badly hit because they were halfway through their uh, year and they were about to start making their movies when they were stopped. So they're now coming back later and um, hopefully still going to make their movies. But no, uh, it's, it's all young Africans going, what story do we want to tell? It's quite surprising which ones are often picked up by Mzanzi Magic. I'm sure you found that, uh, you know, yeah. that you never know what they want. Um, and then suddenly you find that a movie that you didn't think was going to make it into the final two is there. And hey. Yeah. Even with our last ones, we, we threw in a horror film literally just as a by the way, thinking, you know, we, well, we've got these because um, also when you pitch from Zanti Magic or when you generally pitch for broadcasters, you pitch, let's say, five ideas in the hopes of getting one, um, one, one out. And I remember we had our bunch of four and we thought we just do the horror in just in case because we we're like, oh, this is a nice story. It would be nice to make. But from everything that we know, this is not what they kind of want. And that was one of the ones that they picked up and we're like, whoa. But, but we got from the two, from the four, you got two of them. And one of them was a horror and was actually a little bit out of out of at least from what I've been watching from Zandi Magic, slightly out of their realm. But at the same time, because it was it still had a family unit. And then we found out that they were still they wanted to have like a horror, not necessarily horror, but a supernatural run. And that story fit within the supernatural run. So whilst you know, sometimes you just don't know what it is that they're planning, you can just only hope. So you can still throw in your experimental ones and then see what might what 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 bites. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and my story on that was uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we said, okay, come up with concepts. A couple of people came up with a concept which they were sure was going to fly because it was such a hot topic at the time. And that was the subject of blesses and blessing. Yeah. Okay. And when they pitched it to Mzanzi Magic, as they started speaking, I went, oh dear. Because you could see the Mzanzi Magic um, commissioning editors team, you could see all of their heads drop as they went... <laughs> Oh boy, here comes another one. And they, they actually stopped the presentation and said, guys, look, you're wasting your time. We have had so many stories uh, pitched about blessers that we're just definitely not going to take another one. So you've wasted your time. But how is anybody supposed to, to know that? You know, uh, the same thing applies now. You know, I'm sure a lot of people went in going, I got a great COVID story. And channel saying, um, <laughs> we've got, <laughs> we, we've, we've got, got thousands. thousands. We've got thousands. Yeah. So you never know what they're looking for. All you can do, if you, you're a young creative out there listening to this, all you can do is find a story that you really want to tell and then hope that it is what the public wants to hear. Because you don't want to tell a story that you don't believe in, but you think that the, this is what the public wants to hear. Ideally, you want a story that you passionately believe in, that the public also wants to hear. Otherwise, you're telling the story to yourself. Sometimes your idea is just not, is not your idea only. 
five people can have the same idea at the same time. And I witnessed this myself because one of the, during my placement at the academy, one of my placements was within the commissioning department. And within the commissioning department, you literally go through so many of these pitches and sometimes you'll find seven are the exact same, except for like two characters. So some people will say, no, you stole, you stole the story and st stealing of stories does exist. We, we, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but you also still find there's so many common stories that get submitted one right after the other. And it's not like these people conspired against each other. They all submitted around the same time. So how do you know who stole from what, or if it was just a, you all had, or multiple of you had similar ideas within the same time span. You know, I, I, I have the saying that it's in the ether. Ideas are in the ether. And it's extraordinary how you think you've come up with a brand new, exciting idea. And within a couple of months, you discover that you're one of 10 people with the same idea. I have this feeling that these ideas sift into the ether and they circulate in the ether. So you're absolutely right. Don't think that if somebody's putting on something that you have pitched and you didn't get it and they did get it, that they have stolen the idea. 95, 98, I hope one day, 100% of the ideas are not pinch, uh, pinched. It's just that the ideas are out there. You've got to hope that the way you are pitching your story, similar to the other five people who are also pitching the same story, is the one that is being told in a way that appeals to, to the broadcaster. You've got to find a different way of telling that same story. I mean, everybody says that there are only number, so many stories out there. It's the way you tell it that is going to be appealing and get you the job. Now, you've had a very unique position of essentially cultivating and mentoring, let's say at this point, is it over 100 or is it about to reach 100? It's close to 100. Yeah. So you've, you've had the, you've had the, you've had, you've been cultivating a lot, myself included, um, of these, of these brains and Afri young African creatives from, from the bunch that you've now essentially over the last five years, where are you seeing the next generation of storytelling kind of going within the people that you've interacted with? You know, if I knew that, I would start a production company and I would use all of you guys <laughs> and we would become rich. This is the problem, that you never ever know where the stories, where the stories are going to go next. All I can do, Yelezo, is try and provide the, 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 the basis for you to develop a skill that you bring and an attitude that you bring. And I can only try and show you that if you have the right attitude and you can start thinking creatively for a specific target market, you have a better chance of succeeding. That's all I can do. What, what, those of you who have made it, um, and those who, of you who will be making it, and I do believe that a lot more people are um, taking the slower route than you have taken, uh, and the, a few of the well, people like, that we mentioned quite, uh, tonight. Uh, compared to some of the other academy members, I believe I've taken a very slow route because I took a, a, an entire year off just to research. Okay, well let's come let's come to that in a moment. Okay. But there are people out there who have gone the, the faster route, which has been quite surprising to me. But I do believe that with the kind of attitude that we have inculcated 
in the in, in the academy of saying, number one, you've got to make it survive as a business. Number two, you've got to think uh, the correct way. Number three, you've got to have the correct attitude. Number four, people have got to want to work with you, etc., etc., etc. That having set up nearly a hundred people now who understand that that is the way that they can possibly succeed, that it is changing the attitude of filmmakers out there. Can I just say, you know, that there are still people out there who claim to be producers and claim to be successful production companies who treat their crew and their cast in a way that I just, I, I hang my head in shame to be part of this industry. People who don't get paid, people who get paid, who, who, who get paid a fraction of what they should when they work overtime 15, 16, sometimes 18 hours a day for several days in a row. And I believe that that is the kind of thing that we've got to stamp out, that there are enough people like you and the producers out there now who are treating people well, who are managing to work with, uh, within very, very tight budgets, who are producing uh, good creative work within all of that, that that is going to take over more and more. And those people are going to be teaching other people that this is the way it should be done, that I don't talk about, I don't think about, and I don't worry about where the storytelling is going. What I worry about is, what is the industry going to be like in 20 years' time? In terms of the culture. If it is being run by people like you who understand the way we are trying to teach people, which is to do it ethically and well and efficiently so that everybody can actually make a reasonable living and enjoy it while they're doing that, then I have done my job. But to come back to you, you see... You've taken a you've taken a different uh, route to others, and frankly, it's one that I admire enormously. You haven't gone the traditional route, is what I'm trying to say. If you talk yeah. about any one of the others, they have taken the traditional route, the Mzanzi magic. I'm going to make a lot of movies for Mzanzi magic in the hope that in five years' time I'll make my first feature, and or I will be running a a, a telenovela. You've taken a different route. And it's one that I really admire because it's a part of our industry that doesn't uh, that that isn't very strong, and you are strengthening it, and you are actually turning it into something that is going to, I am sure, inspire other people to follow. And yes, it might be slower in terms of you haven't done thirteen different movies, but you've also achieved so much more in the other area of our industry that I believe is developing faster and faster. And it is, frankly, more important to our industry than making the Mzanzi Magic or other uh, Showmax or Netflix or whatever movies. You are doing an incredibly important job. And you, right from the word go, did not step back and go, all right, I'm going to try and see if I can get freelance work or I'm going to try and see if I can get a movie accepted in the next 18 months. You have been working since day one. How many other people can say that? <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. I'm very bad. I don't think you have to respond to it. I'm allowed to say it. 
and I'm saying it. I think what you've done is extraordinary, and I look forward to seeing you developing along these lines while you are quietly developing the other side of it as the others have. But you took a, you took the road less traveled here, and I admire you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those very, very kind words. Um, so one of the things which, if, if we're now bringing it back to this specific podcast, so this specific podcast, I'm not sure if you, if you know, started off as a film club, um, at the beginning of lockdown where we had online watch parties where essentially would just tell, would, would send out a poster saying we're going to be watching this specific movie all to, all at the same time. So just at eight o'clock, go on to show Max and watch so, so the winter to my skin and then we can all have a conversation around it or go and watch Atlantics or whatever. And then luckily some of the filmmakers actually came in, came through for a Q&A. So within this podcast, we've, we were trying to keep the same culture, at least in terms of exploring African film. So my question for you, and I'm very interested because you have, you know, so many films, what is your favorite African film and why? If you ask me who my favorite director is, I would say Steven Spielberg. And people would go, oh, really? Is that the best you can do? And I go, no, there's a reason why. Because for him, he's most like me. I would like to be known as the person who started with a film with two people. Uh, I mean, a guy driving his car who is being hounded by a, a big truck over a period of days. And then I want to make a movie about the first movie ever to deal with live dinosaurs. And then I want to make a movie that looks at the Second World War and, and what happened during the Second World War with a man called Schindler. And then I want to make a movie that is going to be dynamite in how it deals with the latest filmmaking techniques in Player One. And there's a director who has changed with the times and has constantly made movies that appeal to the current public. And yeah, he may not have made a quintessentially artistic movie, but for me, that is a career that is phenomenally successful without making a single art movie. And he had the cleverness to go, you know what, maybe I need an Oscar. Let's do a serious film like Schindler's List, get my Oscar and then go back to doing what I want to do, which is make movies that I want to make. So I want to answer your question on the, in the African context in the same way. I say a movie that you must watch is Happiness as a Four-Letter Word. But you go, what? Really? Compared to the various other African films that you're choosing that one? Yes. And why do I choose it? Because for me, my business now, I've given up my career, okay? I've given up my career as a director and as a producer, and I am plowing myself, my knowledge, into people like you, in the hope that it will improve our entire industry as time goes on. So what is it that I'm focusing on? How do we make local movies that are going to make money? And I look at my dear friend Bongi Solani and her choice of uh, director, and I go, how did these guys, when they came up with this concept to turn a book into a movie called Happiness is a Four-Letter Word, how did they achieve it? How did they achieve what nobody else has achieved, which is to make an African story that has got nothing to do with politics? 
that is essentially a chick flick at a time when everybody said you're going to do what you're going you must be mad nobody <laughs> is going to make money out of that and guess what they made a profit and they're busy on the second follow up a movie now and i go that movie needs to be studied to the nth degree to work out why did it succeed what was it that made that movie make more money than a Schuster movie which nobody had ever done before leon schuster found a, a formula and he milked it to death and he made a lot of money and nobody else has done that locally you look at uh, anand singh and and he had to go the international route um, had to go god you know but I, please god i i had that kind of career he's been also our i think our internationally most successful producer uh, of movies but here was a lady who started in emnet uh, or went to film school in london and then got a job in emnet and worked for several years as a commissioning editor and in, in the content department and she started making little and zanzi magic movies and then she came up with this idea of turning movies into books and she uh, uh, books into movies sorry she identifies this one book says this is where i'm going to put my money and this is where i'm going to convince other people to put their money and i'm going to try and make a success of it financially while making a great little movie and she did it and i go you you want to talk about what's my favorite movie no what's my favorite success story in the local industry and bongi salani is my favorite story and i you you know that part of what we do in the academy is to introduce our interns to as many different great people as possible and tabang malaria has been a perennial favorite everybody loves talking to uh, tabang because he is so generous with sharing how he has made a success of his career and kukwano and various other uh, uh, people like that what they have in common is their determination to succeed if you listen to tabang talking about how he did his first series and how he literally shortlisted every single shot of an entire series before he even started work and you go okay these are the people that need to be celebrated not a particular film necessarily but a particular person who's moving our industry forward and we've spoken about a number of them tonight so that's a long way of avoiding your question <laughs> What, accent, what accent, is my most favorite time. film because my honest opinion is that's not what's important what's important right now is who is moving us forward and who is turning our industry into a a a, a successful one financially because there've been lots of great movies that have been made locally but how many of them have actually made money and i got to tell yeah. you leso as we talk now I'm really worried about the film industry. Yeah. I'm not worried about um uh, I'm talking about uh from the point of view of people going to cinemas. Let me rather say that. I'm worried about the cinemas because we're getting out of the habit of going to cinema, aren't we? We're quite comfortable to sit with our iPads uh, at 9:00, 10:00 at night propped on our knees as we as we go to sleep and watch the latest movie. We're getting out of the habit of going to cinemas. 
And I think if this goes on for much longer, it's going to be very hard to persuade people to get off their couches and actually climb into a car and go and pay some money to go and watch a particular film. And I think that'll be such a sad day. Because for me, there's nothing like sitting in a dark movie house where you have paid money and you've made the effort to go and sit there. I say this about theater, by the way. That for me is what it's about. That you have a captive audience. People who go to the theater, they they pay money, they go to the theater, they go and sit down in that seat, and what do they want to do? They're doing that so that they can watch that performance on that stage. And the same applies to going to the cinema. I think it's considerably different sitting at home with your iPad and sipping a cup of coffee and then getting up and wandering across while the soundtrack continues. And, you know, um, I just, I feel it's going to, we're going to lose something in our industry. But why am I telling you this? Because it's a concern of mine right now that one of the sadnesses of COVID, apart from all of this, all of the people who have lost work and, I mean, Yulezo, let me, Let me finish the sentence that apart from that, the sadness is that it's going to have an effect on our industry, which may not necessarily be good in in some ways. And then I wanted to tell you about, you know, the the people out there. Yaleza, I'm a television director and producer, but my first love where I grew up is in theatre, okay, as a theatre actor first and foremost. Firstly, and then now as a director. And there's nothing nicer for me in my life than directing a theater play. And we put on a play by my very good friend, Paul Slabalepsi. Anybody out there who doesn't know Paul Slabalepsi, you Google him and look at what extraordinary work he's done in South Africa over the last 35 years. And I did a play of his called Suddenly the Storm, which we put on just before COVID. We were due to run three weeks and then to travel to Cape Town and to tour the to tour the production. We were three days into the run when COVID hit and we were closed down. Do you know how many people that affected in terms of the three actors, uh, the the stage crew, the people who sell the tickets, the theatre management, uh, you know? And this happened to literally thousands of us at the time of COVID. And while we in television can continue in the theatres and in the events industry, the people are sitting, waiting for the work to start again, or doing what you've just done now, which is again why I take my hat off to you. You've said, "How? Oh, what can we do? Okay, let's start this film club. Here you are on, what did you say, episode 10 of your pod- podcast. And I go, yeah. we've got to think differently. And some of us can. You can, you've show, shown it, but there are other people out there who, like my friend Paul, you know, on day three of what was supposed to be three months' work, boom, done, finished. And where the hell does he go from here? We've got to find new ways, but we also got to hope that the industry uh, based in theatres and, uh, and places where people can gather comes back quicker or it's going to be disastrous for so many millions of people yeah i I can also speak specifically to the event side because 
this year was actually for us was meant to be primarily actually a showcase year because we had started we did one in 2018 and then last year we actually did eight events throughout the year between the entertainment talks and the showcases and then the Arif digital hub and we were meant to kind of do that again and then there was talks of launching in Pretoria and that was meant to start in April <laughs> and by the time COVID hit it was it was um yeah COVID hit in March mid-March as we were finishing our movies so all the stuff which we had planned, which was supposed to kind of take our entire year is gone. And we can only kind of, I know we're only allowed to come back in, I think mid, we can only start coming back mid of next year. Even if you look at Durban International Film Festival, that was virtual. Um, the same Arif is going virtual, which means that the money which, have, which would have been going to spending on screens, the money which would have been going to spending on security, on all these other little different facets no longer exists. And those people then have to um, move elsewhere. I mean, I know that our sound, our, our sound team from June have almost been calling us monthly asking when we can come back. And we know that from a, um, from just a pure health position, not just the health position from a logistical position, it's not that it's not feasible yet, or it's, 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 it's only gets getting feasible now, but you then still have to take them into account and how many, how, how they've been setting essentially idle all this time and how do we get back from that there are people who can't get back from that because when things do open they would have lost so much that coming back is not an option that they're, they're, they're either fully unemployed or they've now moved to a different industry or found a different way of surviving because yeah what we have right now is not sustainable yeah i mean it's absolutely devastating and the only thing we can do is look for the silver linings and there is one silver lining for me. You know, I've, I'm 68 now. I've often wondered during my life what it would have been like to grow up during a world war, like my grandparents did. I go, well, you know what? This is our world war. The entire world is engaged on fighting this common enemy. And if I have to live through a world war, I choose this one. Because a lot of this is built on love. A lot of built, this is built on having to be creative in a different kind of way. And that, for me, is far preferable to what our grandparents had to go through, which is sending people out to kill other people and not knowing if they're going to come home or not. Well, we, to a very, very minute degree, worry about whether the other person is going to come home or not. But added to that is the silver lining of there is a lot of goodwill out there. There are a lot of people um, who are doing their best to make it okay for those who are in a worse position themselves. So I want I choose this world war. Um, and if I go through my life and this is the worst I've had to face compared to what my grandparents had to face, I choose this one. So then within, because we're now getting close to wrapping, where do, you, where do you think we, in your opinion, where do we go from here, not just as a film and television industry, but essentially as an entertainment or performance art industry? Because that's, that's the through line that I believe links all of us together. Yeah, you know, they say that acting is the second oldest profession in the world, okay? And I don't believe that the acting industry will ever die. 
you can throw whatever you like at uh, the artists and they will find a way of performing. That's because they have to. That is in their blood and we all understand that. So I have no doubt that uh, in the live performance category, it will continue. It has to continue. But I do think some adjustment will have to take place. Let me give an example. Two good acting friends of mine, Fiona Ramsey and uh, Graham Hopkins, came to me and said, uh, you know, we can't go to the Hilton Festival this year. So the organizer of the Hilton Festival, Sue Clarence, contacted them and said, can't you do something that we can put onto a green screen and we can give you a background and do a little performance that we can invite people to watch. So they came to me and said, so we want to do something that can go on a green screen. So we're going to do a play called Green Screen. And it's about these two people who are reaching retirement age and they're worried about having to move into retirement home. And they've been invited to do a commercial about a retirement home. And they are standing in the green screen studio and they are waiting for the crew to get ready so that they can shoot this this commercial. They took the idea of, Sue said to them, we've got a green screen studio that you can go and shoot this little piece in. And they said, great. So what is our set? It's a green screen. They used the set that was given to them to create another idea, and they built the whole idea in a green screen. And you have these two people standing in the green screen area, and at various times, the green screen comes alive. So now we're using a technique of television green screen, giving you a background to amplify the story that they're telling in their little monologues, until eventually they both turn around and they are in the the, uh, the the computer generated old age home. So they have taken what was a really awful idea of please just do something. We'll give you a green scene studio, put a background in there, and and just act something for us. And we turned it into a play that is multimedia. You have it's, it's essentially part of the story. It's it's intrinsic into the story. Exactly. And what we want to do when we get back into the theater is do a multimedia play that is set on a green screen with these big screens where you can see the background being inserted at the various points so that you've got a multimedia experience. You can watch the actor in front of you, or you can look up at them and see the big close-up with the background behind them. So we've created a new kind of theater out of a really bad situation. So I think there's going to be that kind of innovation. Um, that I really want to watch this, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and and I'll certainly invite you when we when we're out and about again. I mean, it is out there. We could we could show you the little thing. But in the meantime, we can send that video around the world as an example of how we are coping in the performance industry with the the terrors of of COVID and actually turning it to our advantage in creating a new art form. So I certainly feel that those kind of things will happen, but you'll never stop theatre because there's nothing like live theatre. There's nothing like that flesh and blood performance, which is for you only in that moment and it's gone forever. 
the next night will be different and the next night will be different. So for me, theater is the mother of the arts and it will always be there. The mother will always be there. And if you haven't gone to theater once we're allowed to do it, because theater is also my introduction into storytelling from both the performance perspective and a writing perspective. And it's the most pure form. <laughs> it's it's you directly with the audience, whether you're the writer, whether you're the actor, whether you're the director, there is there is so much at stake <laughs> at any given moment. And even when things go wrong, sometimes that's even, I don't wanna say the most exciting part, but sometimes even when it goes wrong and finding a way to kind of bring it back is so thrilling. Electric, it's electric. There's nothing quite like that live live performance, which leads me on to the Academy again. I'm sure you remember me saying, if you haven't been to theater, you have to go. Because yes. if you wanna see actors, you've gotta see them on stage. You've got to see those people who are able to sustain a performance for two hours in front of a live audience where you can't say, stop, take it, let's go back, let's pick up, let's do a take two. You are live in front of that audience. And the only way you can do that is to really know about acting. So if you want to watch actors who really know their, their, their craft, go and watch theater. And you will be surprised at how many of those actors are the ones who are really making it big in the film and television world, because those are the ones who are not just there for the, for, for the money. They are there because they love performing and you can see it in their work. So I totally agree with you. If those of you who haven't seen theater, get out there and look at the actors working on a, pr a project like Suddenly the Storm, which is where I worked with four, for four weeks with three actors, line by line, honing that performance to a point where they can stand up on stage and give stunning performances for two hours every night, six nights a week, um, and for a couple of years. As opposed to the actor who steps, who steps out of university, thinks they know how to act, lands a big role in a, in a soap, and they haven't done what I call spear bearing where you carry the spear at the back of the stage while you watch the other great actors perform for three or four years as you watch them and know how uh, good they are these people go onto a television set they don't know what great acting is because they've never experienced it sitting in the same room or standing in the same room working with these people and if they don't get it right the director says cut and goes again and again and again until they get it right just once and that goes onto the screen and everybody thinks oh they're great actors when actually no you've got a good editor and a good director so within closing um i think uh let's say there's someone who's listening and listening to this and now they wanna and they're very interested in joining the academy let's say they're a student how best can they position themselves? How best or what 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 are the some of the what are some of the tools? Let's say even if they want to make the academy or not make the academy, but just also enter enter into the industry. What are some of the, what 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 will be some of the advice that you'd be giving them in terms of positioning themselves both for the academy or just in terms of how best to survive or enter and grow within this industry? 
Okay, so if you're at university or if you're at film school and you want to know how best to get into the academy, the first thing you need to know is if you are not passionate about this, then don't bother because it's going to be a very hard industry that very, very few people make any money in. Most of them drop out because they can't make a living. Okay, so firstly, I'm looking for passion. I want to know people, uh, and, and, and you'll be surprised, Yelezo, or maybe you won't, but uh, people will be surprised. People come into the interview stage, so they got to the final point where now you've got 50 people looking for 14 positions in the academy, okay? And I say, are you passionate about film? And they go, yep, oh, I'm absolutely passionate. And then you say, okay, so what was the last movie you saw? long pause um, um, I watched X-Men and you go uh, yeah okay so what 10 years ago yeah yeah but I really loved it yes okay so tell me what's the last movie you saw what's the last movie you went and sat in the cinema and watched long pause and then they can't answer you then I immediately know this is not a person who is passionate. This is a person who thinks they're passionate, but actually they're not. So unless you really are passionate and you watch everything. And the other thing that drives me mad is the people who say, no, I don't watch local. I think it's crap. And I go, well, excuse me, where are you going to make your living? If you're in South Africa, how are you going to make a living if you don't know what you're competing against? How, do you, how are you going to know what is good and what is bad if you don't if you are unable to compare the Queen with Generations or with Scheme uh, Sam or with uh, Gamora, how are you going to know what is good and what is not if you're not watching it? If you tell me that, no, I only watch international movies. Anybody who wants to make a living in this industry in South Africa must watch everything and they must genuinely be passionate about it. If you are genuinely passionate, and you come from, and they're out there, a bad film school, that doesn't mean you're not going to get into the academy. In the interview section, if you've got through, through to that point, we will find out very quickly just how passionate you are. And it's people like Yelezo, who we recognize the passion and the interest, who have done the stuff, the filmmaking outside of their course. Because that's the other thing. People come and say, what have you done? No, I've made three short films. Yeah, and what are they? No, well, um, it was my first year, and then I did one in my second, and then we said, no. What have you done outside of your course? Uh, no, but I'm thinking of writing. No, you're not a writer. No, you're not passionate. You're the kind of person who's vaguely interested in you, hoping like hell you, you're going to be in the glamorous business. You need to be somebody like an Mbali, who when I said to her, what have you written? She picked up a, a huge file and said, here's some of my work. I said, who's, watched, who's, who's read that? She said, nobody's read it. You're the first to read it. And I go, well, so why did you write it? She said, because I have to write. That's a writer. That's somebody who cannot do anything other than write or she's going to die. And speaking of Mbali, I remember literally, I think it was our first workshop and we had to kind of write a, we had an assignment to write, I think just like a five pager for the next day and Mbali wrote 30 pages. And I was like, whoa, 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so don't waste your time if, unless you really are passionate. And it's the people who are passionate and have, uh, come and learn from us the right attitude and know how to make a, a, a film on the small budgets that we have in this country who are going to be the leaders of tomorrow. And I hope there are some people listening out there who fit that bill and will come to us. Thank you so much for your time. This has genuinely been one of my favorite uh, podcasts that we have done thus far. Um, both in terms of getting to reconnect and actually, because I don't think we've spoken this long in a while. So <laughs> both from that perspective and also just um, understanding a lot of your perspectives and you getting to share a lot of this knowledge, which I don't think many people have immediate access to, which is part of why we wanted to kind of do these types of um, initiatives to kind of just make it a little bit easier for the next person coming in but yeah thank you so much for your insights and for taking the time because i've really enjoyed enjoyed this i hope the people who are listening have also enjoyed this and yeah this has been this has been fantastic bless you for the opportunity i can't tell you what it means to me and also to be talking specifically to you and watching you travel that road less traveled